When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Live your best bookish life with the updated perks at Book Riot Insiders. We've sweetened the current short story and novel levels and introduced a brand new epic level, and you can try out any level you want for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read available to all epic members, and there's no cap on epic, so the more the merrier. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. But wait, there's more. Get the full details on this and all the other perks and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. Hello! And welcome back to When in Romance. We are recording on Wednesday, April 1st, but we will not be joking here today. (laughs) No jokes will be told. No jokes will be told. This is episode 56. I am Jess, and if you were listening to the pre-roll and thinking, Trisha sounds kind of different, (laughs) uh, we have a guest co-host today. Hi, I'm Jen Northington, and I am filling in for Trisha, who is sick. Get better, Trisha. Feel better. Get better, Trisha. Yeah, she's she was feeling under the weather, and we wish her quick recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, I am happy to welcome Jen, who is another J-E double letter. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> to the podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to get to guest on this show. I love romance, and I sneak it into the other podcasts I'm on, Get Booked and SFFia, whenever I can. So it's very exciting to get to not have to sneak it in into this one. Hooray! All romance all the time. Well, a little bit of proto-romance this week, but... Yes. (laughs) So just as a reminder... We are collecting all of our bookish coverage of COVID-19 in one story stream on the site. That is a post that collects all of the other relevant posts and it lists them out so you can just click on links as you wish or don't wish. Um, So go check that out. And it's the header on the page, COVID-19 updates from the bookish world. And you can see that just going to the main Book Riot site, bookriot.com. If you are completely overwhelmed by now, you can just ignore that little yellow bar and go look at other things. But (laughs) if you have the morbid curiosity that some of us do, just it's an easy way for you to access all of the stuff that Book Riot is talking about related to it. And with that out of the way, let's do an ad spot so that we can talk about some stuff. Are you excited, Jen? I'm excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. So let's thank TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations by Book Riot. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving? Let us help. 
Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co co, co, to sign up today. That's mytbr.co, no M, mytbr. And I love it because it's tailored book recommendations, but also the giant pile of books behind me, TBR. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to remember. So this is the Austin episode. So excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Should I tell them the origin story of why we decided to do this? You should, because I I was really delightful for how it sort of just kind of became what it became. (laughs) Yeah. So like, actually, just a couple of days ago, Trisha let us know that she wasn't feeling well and needed a sub. And I threw myself bodily into the breach. I volunteered as tribute (laughs) um, in about five seconds flat. And one of the reasons was because I am currently playing an RPG called Good Society, which is a Jane Austen Regency role-playing game in which you basically collaboratively write a Austenian book together. And there are a couple of different modes you can play. There's romantic comedy. There's, oh, shoot, I've immediately forgotten what the other two are because we're (laughs) doing romantic comedy and that's all I care about. Oh, there's like, there's high drama. That's another one. And then there's farce, right? Okay, I do remember. I do remember. (laughs) So so obviously romantic comedy is like in between those two. And um, it's amazing. It's by this outfit, Story Brewers. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Notes. And you it's it's really well thought out. You there are all these different characters you can be um, of different kinds, like you can be the heir or the new arrival or, you know, the meddler or whatever. And then you can also there's all these family backstories and then there are connections, quote unquote, where you're playing like both a major character and a minor character. So I, for example, am playing a new arrival who has been in the Americas because they are a horticulturalist (laughs) because I love plants and uh, are back in town. And I'm also playing the village curate because I was like, somebody make me a vicar. (laughs) That's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing. And they all have their own little backstories and, you know, and then the other players, of course, you you get a public desire and a private desire. So there's the public desire, which everybody knows. And then there's your secret, you know, desire that's like your goal for this, you know, for the for the way the game goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to take a gamble and guess that my co my players do not listen to the show. I tell you what my secret goal is. <laughs> Nobody tell the people I'm playing with. It is that I have to deliver or receive two proposals by the end of the game. Oh, wow. I know, which is so hard, y'all, because I'm terrible at flirting in real life, and it t- it turns out I'm really bad at flirting in <laughs> RPG also. I'm so bad at this. So <laughs> it's going to be real interesting. I actually am behind on my RPG homework. I'm supposed to be writing letters tonight. I have to write two letters oh. uh, to other characters in the game. Yeah, it's really fascinating, and I didn't know it existed, but a good friend of mine had mentioned to me a while ago she was thinking about putting a game together, and this seemed like the perfect time. That's really cool. 
And it's called Good Society. Yes, it's called Good Society. Story Brewers are the game makers. And so I was telling Jess this, and she was like, well, we were going to do an adaptations episode. Should we just, like, turn this into a big Austin adaptation? (laughs) And so here we are. (laughs) Here we are. It's like you have inspired a whole episode just with a random story. It's like, I can't do that that night, but... Right, right. Oh, that's right, because we were trying to schedule, and I was like, I can't record on Thursday because I have my Jane Austen RPG. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, gosh. And then, you know, it it sort of, like, sort of felt like the right time because over the weekend, um, there's a, a social media and website collective called Drunk Austin. Hmm. And um, there's, I think there are a few people who are sort of the moderators of it. And they make fun memes on Twitter and that kind of thing. But they hosted um, a virtual Jane Con over the last weekend in March. So it would be last weekend from when we're recording, two weekends ago from when you're listening, if you listen on Monday. And they pull together a bunch of people who have some sort of expertise or just dilettante enjoyment of, um, you know, all things Austin, and they all put on presentations either on Facebook Live, or on YouTube, and they still have that collected if the people who presented were willing to record them. So you can still kind of go through and watch a bunch of presentations about like, costuming and uh, like actual like clothing or, you know, themes from certain Austin stories or, you know, comparing adaptations versus text and deep looks at text. And it's just like, I love Austinites. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jainites are my favorite. Like, and it's in part because Pride and Prejudice was my entry point into fandom. Mm. Like, at 16, I discovered Pride and Prejudice fan fiction and just didn't turn back. Um, So, like, sometimes I feel like these are my people that I've sort of abandoned, but always come (laughs) back to when I can. So uh, that that was really exciting to sort of have a look at. I haven't watched um, very many of the ones that are still, like, on their Facebook page, um, just because I am bad at that but (laughs) but all of the topics sound really cool yeah I was just thinking I'm sort of I have very little patience for internet video I have no idea why Mm -hmm. but I love that this exists Mm -hmm. and I love I do love the topics these are so interesting and I I especially might go back and look at some of like the live tweets because those sound fun that I can like if it's text I'm fine it's just Mm -hmm. video I have a hard time with Um, but yeah and oh wait here's another thing that I just remembered uh, (laughs) thanks to the dancing in Gene Austin's time topic on the virtual Jane Con. So I also I'm a huge Austin fan and my like cred includes that in the last month it was my birthday week so it was late February. Mhm. The local historic cemetery, which also has an old mansion on it where they do events. Um, and it's not like a creepy cemetery. It's actually like quite a lovely like public park sort of place. <laughs> um, they had a Regency dance party night oh where they got, yes, they got the local troupe of historic dancers, which I didn't even know was a thing, but totally is, to come in full costume. There was a make your own Regency headband station 
full of like feathers and beads and fabric and I made my own Regency headband Aww. and there was like snacks and they taught us different dances that would have been danced in Jane Austen's time. And so I learned, what did I learn? I learned the charming fellow. No, the comical fellow <laughs> is one of them. Oh, and the Duke of something's waltz. Now I forget <laughs> which Duke it was, but I learned a, a waltz. <laughs> That's cool. It was super cool and it was so much fun. And also it really does explain how so much talking happens during <laughs> those ballroom sequences because it is, you're like in this long line of people and you are just standing there for big chunks of the action, <laughs> waiting for it to be your turn to like do the little thing. So yeah, I really experienced firsthand how you could have that much flirtation and repartee mm -hmm. at a dance party. It makes perfect sense to me now. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, that's so cool. It was fun. It was super fun. I kind of aspire to be like a historic dancer when I'm also a retiree. Like most of these folks were clearly retirees who are mm -hmm. just like love to dress up and, you know, they're cosplayers basically doing the dances. And I was like, this is this is goals. This is life goals right here. Absolutely. Yeah. I occasionally see events come across my feed for um, local local teas and that kind of thing where it's like a Regency tea and you go mm. and you do do some line dancing. <laughs> line <laughs> dancing. I mean, it is. It is basically line dancing. You're standing in lines and then you dance. <laughs> oh, but I've never actually ventured out. Maybe that will be one of my goals for this decade. Yeah, there you go. Once we can have dances again, you should do it. Yeah, totally. So now that we've got kind of a how did we arrive at the Austin episode? <laughs> you want to talk about some books? Yeah, let's talk about some books. So obviously, there, there are Jane Austen novels. But mm -hmm. we went, we really wanted to talk about some retellings because she put together some great stories that a whole lot of people love to tell their own way. Yeah. <laughs> and the mo majority of them are are Pride and Prejudice, because for some reason, that is the one that is the absolute landmark in in our, our like, romantic culture, which mm. I, I acknowledge because I have seen every adaptation. I, I, I spent, like, half a decade reading fan fiction. I, I have the books about most of it. Like, I understand how Pride and Prejudice is sort of the the landmark mm -hmm. Jane Austen novel, but it's still really interesting that like 80% of the retellings are Pride and Prejudice. You have to sort of dig around to look for really good ones that are persuasion retellings or Emma retellings or... I've only found one Northanger Abbey retelling. <laughs> well, I can't say I'm surprised <laughs> about that, to be totally honest. You know, it's oh, it's so funny, Jess. I'm looking now at my list, and I didn't realize this when I was putting it together, but mine are 100% prejudice <laughs> retelling. Like, I did not do it on purpose. That just all happened to be. And I was thinking about it because the, the adaptation that we're going to talk about farther down is actually Emma. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how I, I think Emma is for me, one of her funniest books, mm -hmm. but it's not the one I reread the most often. 
And that is probably Pride and Prejudice because, like, it's hard not... I mean, Elizabeth Bennet, I think, is arguably the most likable heroine. I think you're right. (laughs) And the one that you most want to identify with, right? Like, who doesn't want to be Elizabeth Bennet? That's so true. There's nothing wrong with her. She's fine. (laughs) Like, she's fine. Whereas, you know, some of the other heroines, like, notably Emma, but lots of the other ones, you know, they're mousy or shy or they're, like, you know, a little spoiled or whatever. Like they have, mm-hmm. you know, actual foibles and flaws to overcome. Whereas like Elizabeth Bennett, like got her feelings hurt and was <laughs> like had feelings about that, which is like 100 percent correct. Like, obviously, <laughs> like there's no I have no, I have zero critiques of Elizabeth Bennett personally. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I love I do love persuasion. Oh, my gosh. I mm. do love persuasion and sense and sensibility, actually. I think sense and sensibility I don't know why it's the one that I think of least. I think because I haven't actually finished the book. Oh, really? I love the like both of the film adaptations that I've seen. Mm. Um, but I think I started reading the book very shortly after like my third time around with Pride and Prejudice, and I couldn't get past like the yeah. fourth chapter. So, and I just haven't ventured back. So maybe I should I should do some revisiting of. I think that's actually the only one I haven't read. Oh, that's so interesting. I haven't read Sanditon, or however you say it. I have. Well, like, the one that was published in, like, the early 2000s with, like, that was finished by an anonymous person. Mm. Um, I remember reading that one in high school, but I haven't picked it up since, and I don't really remember much about it. (laughs) I do love Sense and Sensibility. I love the Dashwood Sisters, and I will actually say... Yeah, I am going to say this, uh, that Marianne Dashwood and Colonel Brandon are probably my all-time favorite May-December romance. I could see that. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah. It's such an interesting dynamic. It's such an interesting. And I have like a lot of fellow feeling for, is it Eleanor? I think it's Eleanor Dashwood. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we're getting, I'm sorry, we're getting so sidetracked. So I'm the worst at tangents tonight. I apologize. Oh, believe me, it's nothing new. <laughs> I just have so many Jane Austen feelings. This is the place to 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 dole them out. I mean, yeah, we've got we've got plenty to talk about, but yeah, that's totally true. And I just I just had the wildest realization that I'm older than Fitzwilliam Darcy now. <gasps> which is, is that true? <laughs> Wait. How old is Fitzwilliam Darcy? 28? He's 28. Oh, God. me! I'm like a decade old. If I were to date Fitzwilliam Darcy, it would be a May-December romance and not on my side. I, however, am still younger than Mark Darcy. So we're... (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, man. And on that note... On that note... Let's actually talk some retelling. Let's talk about some, yeah, yeah. Uh, should I start? Go for it, yeah. Okay. I You probably have talked about this book before. I know you've talked about it in your newsletter. I am leading off with Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev because I loved it so much. It's probably my favorite Jane Austen retelling to date, not going to lie, because it's a remix. This is what I love about it. She does not try to hit it point for point like a lot of other folks do. I love how she like took inspiration. It's clearly inspired by, but then she took it in completely her own 
direction in addition to updating, you know, the characters um, into a more modern settings and, you know, adding like characters of color and, you know, telling just a very different story. Um, and I just but I, I think it I think it really captures the spirit of Jane Austen because it is all about class and it is all about pride and prejudice. But like it's so seamlessly woven into the modern day world. I just love so much how she how she took it and made it her own. Yeah, I I really did love reading that book. It was probably the longest book I had read sort of around the time that I read it. So it took me a while longer than I thought it was going to. Mm. Um, And also, it's just like, I have to throw out the fact that it is a trauma heavy book. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good, but there's so much going on. Yeah, it's so because, you know, Sonali Dev is always like pretty trauma heavy, which I I like an angsty romance. I'm not going to lie. I like to see people dealing with their traumas in romance. Um, and so but yeah, yeah. What the, I, and, you know, most of the trauma takes place off screen with the exception of a very triggery uh, police encounter. Um, but but it is referenced pretty heavily. Oh, and then there's, you know, pregnancy fears. Yeah, right. So let's like list them off here. We've got pregnancy fears. We have discussion of rape and child abuse. We have the police uh, aggressive racism moment. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Oh, there's comp like sort of emotionally abusive family dynamics. Cancer. <laughs> oh yeah, cancer. Oh, and fears around disability, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that too. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this book. Um, but Trisha Rajay is such a great. Like, I just love how she is the Darcy, sort mm-hmm. of. Like, she really is the Darcy. And, you know, she's a neurosurgeon. Her family is rich. Her brother's running for office. Like, they're so fancy. And she's kind of an outsider in her family, but she still has all of that family baggage. And then, mm. oh, I love a chef hero, right? I love a <laughs> chef hero. And then DJ Kane, who I really do think is, like, the Elizabeth Bennet character here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so... Just like sweet, but also so in his own stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it just works so well. I just loved their dynamic so much. Yeah, it's a it's a great dynamic. And, uh, you know, like, since you talked about the the police encounter, you know, mm-hmm. I was I was sort of afraid of what was going to happen with um, one of the characters being a black character. DJ mm-hmm. Kane is in part. What do you call a black person from Britain? Um, black. Um, right. I almost said African American. It was like that is oh, not right. true. And then it was like British African, Af- Brit- Af- Afro Afro British. I don't. Somebody tell me because right. I I really need to know that now. But you know, I I I use black as just an overarching thing because there are so many people from the the diaspora. diaspora. (laughs) um, But, you know, especially that particular scene, Sonali Dave approached it really, really well. And I was not upset by the end. I mean, I was upset, but not upset about the writing. I was upset about the event. Yes. (laughs) Um, Which you will be when you read it. Yeah. (laughs) But overall, like, their chemistry is so great. Neither of them is a perfect person, mm-hmm. which I all like, I love baggage. <laughs> yes, yeah, same, same. And they both have to do some groveling, which I also love. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. 
And I'm excited for Recipe for Persuasion. Yes, same. Which I hope is coming out um, oh, gosh. this spring when it was supposed to. We we sort of, there's a bunch of stuff we're not sure if if they have later spring release dates, if they were actually, if they're actually going to be printed. So, I mean, maybe a bunch of stuff will just come out digitally and have later print dates. We'll see. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot, there have been a lot of announcements, mostly in non-romance um, fiction about release dates being moved. So let's hope Recipe for Persuasion um, is released soon so that we can talk excitedly about that. I do love Persuasion. Mm-hmm. I, I will take any persuasion story. I actually didn't read the book until I was an adult, which actually was probably better because I sort of connected to Anne a little better Mm -hmm. than I would have as a teenager. And so, yeah, I'm excited for the characters in Recipe for Persuasion, um, one of whom we already meet in Pride and Prejudice, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, Um, and just the way that she's going to remix that story mm-hmm. and also cooking competition <laughs> yes so great should we take a ad break we're like way into this now <laughs> <laughs> we are we are um let's do that okay so our next sponsor is libro fm which is great because it lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore you can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks including new york times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like the testaments by margaret atwood the starless sea by aaron morgenstern children of virtue and vengeance by tomi adeyemi and over the top by queer eyes jonathan van ness which side note was great with libro.fm you'll get Get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, and you know that name. Listeners of When in Romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Sign up with code BR3 at Libro.fm before Saturday, April 25th, and you will get two extra audiobooks delivered on April 25th in celebration of Independent Bookstore Day. That is a one-day party taking place at local bookstores all across the country, probably digital this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a day to celebrate the unique ways that your local bookstore and booksellers contribute to your community. So again, that's Libro.fm, code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. All right. Tell me about one of your picks, Jess. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about one that I actually haven't finished yet, but I'm about halfway through and it's an Emma retelling and i i've spent a lot of time in my adult life trying to figure out if i actually like emma as a person <laughs> um and uh, if i love you less by tamsin parker is a queer retelling set in modern day on the island of Kauai. so there's like so much happening just around the story and uh, the main character is very Emma-like and very much in their own world, pretty certain of their own convictions about things and about people. And I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the book not sure if I liked her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way that I've had to sort of think about any any retelling of Emma, because as we know, the best one is Clueless, <gasps> is... <laughs> We'll have to talk about this because I have feelings. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> is 
like where she's coming from as this sort of master manipulator. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is she sincere in it or is she sort of like a master manipulator? <laughs> so since i haven't made it all the way through if i loved you less i haven't completely made up my mind but i really like the way that the character is developed in the beginning we sort of discover we figure out like who she is as a person based on her reflection of people around her her father is that same kind of like don't ever leave me don't don't eat things that are bad for you. Don't die. Like he is ba- he is like filled with grief after he lost his wife in a surfing accident because this is Hawaii. And now um Theo is a surfer and she teaches surfing, but she's she's very much a homebody. She works at the shop with her dad. She doesn't really do much around besides um socialize with a few friends. And then finally she takes the new girl under her wing um to sort of get her up to snuff. <laughs> so mm. it's got it's got a lot of the elements of the story and her relationship with Kini, who is like a family friend and a personal friend and also like sort of a an older sibling, is great. Like I already love their relationship, even though at the beginning i was like how does this evolve into a romantic relationship i don't know we're gonna find out um but i also sort of felt that way about emma the first time i read it Mm -hmm. so it it works as as a retelling um and the writing's great you're really it's really like you're really surrounded by what's happening and immersed in theo's like weird concept of how things work (laughs) so yeah, I, I, I'm really liking it so far. And I think it might be the first book retelling of Emma that I've I've found, or at least gotten very far in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. I got to surf for the first time over my winter break and Ooh. was not good for the record at all, but I really loved it. I had so much fun. <laughs> um, and so now I definitely need a surfing romance that is based on Emma. That sounds like an amazing combination of things. Totally. And there's food. Yeah. Oh, well, even better. I love food. Yeah. I love food in a book. Yeah. And a lot of like very Hawaiian food. <laughs> Mm. I have to I had to go look some of the things up because it's like the way that she's describing this sounds amazing, but I can't even imagine what it looks like. <laughs> nice. Oh, I look forward to really wanting to eat those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh wait, should we take should we have a sidebar about clueless right now? Go for it. I want to hear your feelings. Okay. Okay. So I love Clueless for the record. I think it is an amazing adaptation and it's so interesting the way that they took bits of it and then recast it. However, watching the adaptation we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. like whenever we get there, um, (laughs) reminded me that they completely took out... The Jane Fairfax Miss Bates element of it. And Uh so Cher's version of Emma actually, like, doesn't honestly have that much growing to do. Mm -hmm. Like, the growing that Cher does in Clueless 
is really just about meddling a little bit less mm-hmm. and like you know taking like not you know caring so much about like Travis being a smoker or whatever do you know what I mean like yeah, she, yeah. she it's it's like a little bit just it's a little bit more about like class and meddling than it is about you know book Emma and a lot of adaptation Emma's like carelessness or mm-hmm. is it I, I go back and forth on whether I think it's carelessness or thoughtlessness but regardless you know that I think that is really missing from Clueless and it it I was thinking about this all day today because <laughs> what else was I gonna think about <laughs> I was like I can't decide how I feel about that because the Box Hill scene mm-hmm. is so important it's such a linchpin of the story and like when you take that whole element out like Oh, what does it do to the story? Anyway, okay, so that's my... What, like, tell me why it's your favorite. Oh, well, I think it's in part just, like, it's so foundational. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even remember the first time I saw Clueless, but yeah. I can tell you how many... Well, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it either, but I can tell you when I remember starting to wear shorter skirts and taller socks, mm-hmm. um, which was mm-hmm. probably about fifth grade. <laughs> Nice. Um, so I know that there's a connection there. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like the not the perfect teen romance. There are probably other even other like adaptations of classics that could fall into the, the class of perfect teen romance. Sure. But it's just one of those movies that's like a perfect movie. I would agree with that. It has all of the right beats and, mm-hmm. you know. There isn't there isn't a whole lot of, you know, growth that's required, but there's right. just enough that you you sort of connect with everyone at the beginning and you follow along and you you can still connect with everyone at the end. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, like it's just one of those that reaches different parts of your your whole like mental mindset, depending on how old you are. Like there's so much of that movie. I totally didn't get it. 10 or 11 or however old I was and then you watch it now you're like oh my gosh (laughs) but you make excellent points Jess (laughs) you make excellent points so maybe it's not it's not the best adaptation of Emma but it is one of my favorite Emma movies yeah I will I will co-sign that I will ab- not that you need me to, but like I will absolutely jump on that phrasing bandwagon. Yes. Also, like when we when we finally talk about the Emma that we're going to talk about today, there were moments watching it where there were clueless moments coming to my head, where it was like <laughs> that beat fits exactly with that moment, and it's it was so weird watching it that it was just like like there's a scene and like I just said aloud i love josh and it fit perfectly (laughs) with the beat that was happening on the screen (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) it's like your mental movie just superimposed right on top of the (laughs) right on top amazing amazing i love it uh okay wait let's talk about some more current books we'll get we'll get we'll get to emma adaptations again soon um I want to talk about one that I just read for the first time, even though it came out... When did this come out? 2015. Oh, so not that long ago. Uh, Sophia Khan is Not Obliged by Aisha Malik, which, oh my goodness, what a delight. This is also... It's like... 
Pride and Prejudice by Way of Bridget Jones, which <laughs> I love because like it's an adaptation of an adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's very meta. It's good. Um, it is. It really. I mean, they they pitched it clearly as like the Muslim Bridget Jones, and that's basically what it is. Sophia Khan is a British Muslim woman who is living with her parents. She is, you know, not really having much luck in the dating pool. <laughs> and her parents are like, everybody's pestering her, but she's resisting their pestering. Her sister is getting married. Like, there's a lot of weddings around her. She's an amazing group of friends who are all in various really interesting slash, like, potentially hazardous <laughs> relationships. Um <laughs> And she works for a publisher and at a publicity meeting, she's a publicist, and she is at a meeting and they're trying to brainstorm new book ideas. And she says somebody should write a Muslim dating book. And they're like, great. Why don't you do that? <laughs> she's like, uh, OK, I guess so. Wait, you're going to pay me for it? All right. And the story unrolls from there. And it's, I will tell you, it did not at all go the way that I thought it was going to. And I'm not going to say too much about the hero because I think it's a really interesting development and I don't want to spoil that for anybody else. Oh man. But I loved how I loved the voice of this. It is diary entries, much like the original Bridget Jones. Um and so that was super fun to see this take on it. it includes like text messages and email chats and all of those things. And like the take on Muslim dating is amazing. And also like Sophia is really serious about her faith in a beautifully portrayed way and like to see a, a romance heroine talk about why she wears hijab and you know what her rules are for dating and why and how her faith is part of all of that is just no oh, it's lovely it's so lovely and it's so well done I just thought it was great I will say uh for trigger warnings um Sophia does it experience uh like racism on mass transit which is not a fun thing to watch um and there is i in and like actually very similar to the original bridget jones there's a lot of sort of like fat shaming internalized fat shaming which is not addressed ever which i never like to see uh but otherwise it's it's very fun and bouncy there is a family death um so that was that's a sad moment in the book but yeah it's it's on the whole, very, very fun and a really smart and fascinating. And I just loved this, like, this updating of it again. Really interesting and, and fun to read. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that one's been on my list for I don't even know how long. And uh, <laughs> you you have pushed it up again because that sounds like something that I need to read soon. Yeah, it's good. I'll be really interested to hear your thoughts on it because I like I said it's it is I mean maybe other people would have seen it coming, but I did not see the actual end romance coming, so I'm super curious how other people experience this book as romance readers. Yeah, cuz I have I have such a big foundation in Pride and Prejudice and Bridget Jones. Mm -hmm. And I love things that are full of text messages and and emails and that kind of thing. Like yeah, this just sounds like the book for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Bridget Jones tattoo, so I'm like right there with you. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it's just because even though Sophia Khan is not um, that recent of a book, um, another one that I really love that is also a Pride and Prejudice retelling and also features Muslim characters, it was Aisha at Last by Uzma Shalaluddin. 
And that one actually takes place in Toronto. Mm. And it's very much about two people who approach their faith very differently. And not quite like Pride, Prejudice and other flavors, but um, a lot like it, it, it takes the story and applies the beats where they need to be, but also lets it go in mm. a different direction um, when it shouldn't or when the story works better when um, she can bring her own sort of twist into the story. So um, the main characters are, they, they both, you know, are part of a pretty religious community um, in Toronto, but whereas the Elizabeth Bennet character is not quite as strict in everything you know she she wears the hijab she doesn't drink etc etc the darcy character is so much more strict at the beginning not because he feels that he should be ruling other people's lives but he takes he takes the tenets very seriously and you know is very much about family and wearing the right things and practicing all of the things that you're told to do in the Quran. So immediately they clash, even before they meet, you get to see sort of their perspective of each other um, based on how they how they live their lives. But he sort of always admires her, even when he's like confused about why she might be doing something or appalled that she hangs out with certain people. Um, so, and, you know, it's, it's, I guess what you would qualify as a sweet romance. There is, um, no sex at all because <laughs> that's not what you do. Um, mm -hmm. and honestly, I can't even remember if there is, like. There's no kissing in Sophia Khan is not obliged. <laughs> like, it is, it is, in that way, it is very Regency. Like, there is no body contact. <laughs> yeah. So. But it like the characters are really well developed, and while a couple of the um villainous people are a little cartoonishly villainous, like the super racist person that he works for um and that kind of thing it's the the beats are set so that it it works still as a retelling um and sometimes you just you need somebody to hate in a book. Mm. <laughs> so so there's that um but it's it's really cute and i really love the writing and that's that's important when you're trying to sift through especially pride and prejudice retellings yeah like, <laughs> if there are just so many <laughs> there's so many you have to pick and choose where you can get <laughs> so true so true uh, okay, real quick, I'm going to shout out one more book, which is maybe not technically a romance, although there is a romantic plot to it. But Longborn by Joe Baker, if you have ever wanted a like downstairs version of Pride and Prejudice, that is exactly what this is. You're following one of the housemaids whose name is Sarah, who has been working at Longborn since she was like, I mean, she got there at the age of six. She's an orphan. And she's sort of watching watching all of the events of Pride and Prejudice happen and like, you know, having Mrs. Bennett like 
up in her hair 24-7, having tizzies <laughs> about everything. And there's a new footman who comes uh, to the household. And there's also a handsome servant who works for Mr. Bingley, who's now at the house all the time. And you get, in addition to the people dynamics, you actually see through the character of James um, the Napoleonic Wars, which are a backdrop in all of Austen's novels. But you never actually see any of the battles or really get a sense of like what it meant to those soldiers. You get like a very gauzy view of it through Austin. And the, like Longbourn dives way into that. You know, the footman has PTSD from his time in the military. There is a secret involved. Like there's all kinds of things going on. And it's just like it's yeah, like I said, not it's not a sweet romance at all, but it's a really interesting take on the Austin story. And there is a lovely romance romantic subplot so good i'll have to check that out yeah you just reminded me how many kernels there are in oh my Austin. so many why are there so many kernels they're just they're everywhere <laughs> it's like dukes in regency romance they're just <laughs> everywhere <laughs> oh man and uh, i will i will throw out one more um that i read and enjoyed um a while ago and that's well played by Katrina Ramos Atienza. And it actually takes place, um, it's set in the Philippines. And there, um, it's a new adult, co- uh, campus romance. Um, and, uh, um, the Elizabeth Bennett character is a soccer player. Well, she, she's a football <gasps> Amazing. player. And the Darcy character, Paul, is a, um, math snob. So <laughs> they clash very nicely. Oh, I love that concept. They actually like it felt like that felt like a, a return to fan fiction for me, not because of anything in particular, but it just like they they clashed in that perfect way that is very much a sort of younger Bridget Jones kind of thing than a lot of the the stories that I've read really portray them always going head to head, toe to toe. Mm. Um, so if you were looking for an, uh, another athlete, wow, I have two athletes. Yeah. Who's going after um, some somebody who needs uh, a talking down. <laughs> well played by Katrina Ramos. Awesome. I'm going to have to grab that too. Oh. And we take a big sigh. Should we actually talk? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Emma. And it's not the Emma that you think we're going to talk no! about. No! <laughs> <laughs> it's the 2009 BBC miniseries. And that is also a funny story about <laughs> how we arrived there. It's true. Jen and I were just thinking about Austin adaptations. So it was like, which ones are around? And she mentioned Mansfield Park starring Johnny Lee Miller, and I had the sudden combustive realization <laughs> that the Johnny Lee Miller Emma, which came which was released on BBC and PBS Masterpiece in 2009, was about to leave Hulu, and I had put it on my list to watch when I got Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> so we so we both did this mad scramble to watch it before it disappeared. And I have to say, I I really enjoyed it. Like, I think after watching so many two-hour Emmas, 
it felt really long, but it was also really good. <laughs> yeah, I so I have to start with I love Johnny Lee Miller. Mm-hmm. I love him. And I definitely now also need to watch Mansfield Park at some point. But I think that's like more safely on Netflix than this was. So, but yeah, I and I honestly did not know much about this miniseries aside from that Johnny Lee Miller played Mr. Knightley, which was (laughs) enough for me, honestly. And I think this might be my favorite Austin adaptation that I've seen, which is I haven't seen all of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, caveat. But I actually really loved how they slowed it down into four like hour long episodes because you got a moment, like at least one private moment with all of the secondary characters. Like you yes. see Miss Bates like getting to where she becomes the sort of prattling, you know, dull whatever but you see how she gets there and you Mm -hmm. see you know frank churchill and you see jane fairfax leaving their homes as kids and you see you know just you get all of these beautiful little private moments that emma is not party to Mm -hmm. and i loved how that really brought the full cast to life and also you know i think it lent more sort of emotional depth to those like to the box hill party for example you know because i I, like in the book i don't recall feeling that bad for miss bates honestly like it's like it's bad manners obviously but i was just like oh she sounds terrible but in the miniseries i'm like oh poor miss bates like she's she kind of can't help it like this is just her life so i don't know i i really did enjoy that slowing down to give more breathing room to all of the other characters yeah, I totally, totally felt that. Also, like, all of the interactions we got to see Emma having, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like in a lot of the other adaptations, a lot of things move really quickly, and we don't really get to see a lot of the um, secondary characters alone, but we don't, we also don't get those interactions to see how deeply she cares about people or isn't sure about people. Mm. Um, and we sort of get to see her, like those quiet moments with them, like you said, but also Emma just sort of coming in either nicely or brusquely, depending on who it is. Mm. And we get to see that really, really slow build up to badly done. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And it's it was like it was one of those things where you know what's going to happen and you're like, is this it? Right. Is this it? Right. But <laughs> but then it's like, oh wow, this is getting worse and worse and worse. And yeah. the whole thing as a story was you could build so much more with four hours than you can mm-hmm. with two. Um and just to see like we didn't get in Clueless, like that exponential growth. Which, you know, I'm still not sure where that hits it in the story. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's, there's just, there's so much of the story that you can tell. And they could have a lot of time for silence. Um, Mm. I realized this wasn't a, a movie that I could watch while I was like doing a color puzzle or something where mm. you know you're listening and everything happens so quickly that you you just follow along by listening to the dialogue no right. there are a lot of things that are 
silent moments and little bits in the background and Johnny just sort of hanging out in a corner scold- yeah. sc- scolding with his eyebrows. And it's yeah. just... <laughs> so true. <laughs> There's just so much of that. And uh, I feel like this is the one adaptation that I've seen that actually has more than one scene with the Knightleys in it. Like the the younger Knightleys. Younger Knightley and Isabella. Yes, yes. So it there's so much more family in a yeah. four-hour adaptation than there is in a two. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I was thinking is that everybody was so perfectly cast. Like, I thought that the Elton character was perfect. I thought oh Mrs. Gosh. Elton was perfect. <laughs> they were so despicable. You're just like, oh, my God. I can't stand you. Oh I thought the Frank Churchill actor was pretty good. He really walked that line between, like, being enjoyably playful, but also, like, clearly not acting in good faith and I you're just know. like oh you're so oh i just did like, like ugh, how I much do i hate you yeah exactly i'd like go back and forth and i think also what i loved about ramala garai's performance as emma is that she i really do think she threaded the needle where emma is not just some spoiled child right she's like a she's a smart very clever young woman who really knows her own value like and knows that you know she has that whole great speech about how like men don't want women who will talk back to them or mm-hmm. who are clever like that's not what men are interested in and uh and like she knows herself and she knows her power and she like is misguided and i think careless is the word i'm gonna go with mm-hmm. um she is careless but she also is genuinely good-hearted. And once she understands how she has, like, hurt somebody else's feelings, it matters to her. And, yeah, and I, I really appreciated that, th- that like, vision of Emma. I thought, I thought the actress did a great job of, of bringing that Emma to life. Yeah, I mean, she really felt like a young, misguided person, where, yeah. whereas some of the other ones don't. Like, I love Kate Beckinsale's Emma so much, but she's really mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And this is not a mean Emma. This this uh, BBC Emma is not a mean Emma. I was thinking about, like, what would, like, if it wasn't called Emma, like, what would the two words be called? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if, like, if, you know, Jane Austen was going to call it a two-word name. Uh-huh. And I landed on... Conscience and cleverness. But my second choice was carelessness and consideration. Ooh. I don't know why I got stuck on C words. <laughs> they, they work. They work. I mean, it has to be... We need to come closer to the beginning of the alphabet. Right. There right. are too many late alphabet things and things. It's true. It's true. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I'm glad. This is also what I spent all day thinking about. <laughs> what are the two words? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I guess this is the moment at which I will mention that the new adaptation of Emma, which is it out now? I think they dropped it early, right? Yeah, you can, you can rent it. You can't buy it yet, but you can rent right. it. 
So our hosts on the Novel Gazing podcast, which is our literary fiction podcast, actually interviewed Autumn DeWild, who's the director of Emma. And uh, we will leave a link to that in the show notes because you can go listen to that interview, which will tell you all kinds of interesting things about how that movie got made. <laughs> they were over the moon about getting to do that interview also, which I do not blame them. Like, that's I'm a sure. that's a fun interview to do. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And I happened serendipitously across um, an Emma off um, (laughs) done by one of my favorite authors, Gail Carriger. Um, She had done this. She had done a similar thing when she was sick and just watched a whole bunch of Pride and Prejudice adaptations. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch all of the Emma adaptations that I can find and do sort of a, um, a rundown of her her thoughts and she has a great thing at the end that's like best adaptation best emma best nightly you know like most accurate yes Um, (laughs) that kind of thing um and it's a lot of fun especially because it's told in gail's like signature uh witty style even as a brief blog post um and I have some I I have some thoughts about her um her rankings but Oh yeah. But um I will I will leave them to the ether. <laughs> I agree with a, a lot of them but they're not, I yeah. I was I was a little dismayed at I mean I haven't seen all of these so it's hard for me to like a hundred percent agree or disagree, but I didn't agree with her assessment of the chemistry between mm-hmm. Johnny Lee Miller and Romola Garay. Um, I thought they had great bantery chemistry that like gradually deepened in a way that I really liked to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, also, side note. Am I the only person who, I'm, I mean, that's like the stupidest thing you could say in the age of the internet. Okay, let me <laughs> rephrase. Obviously, I'm not the only person. But it occurred to me as I was watching this, something that I had thought before, which is that like Emma seems to me to be somewhere on the aromantic asexual spectrum, uh-huh. which is kind of, which I think really comes out actually in this miniseries. Like she's just so disinterested. Mm-hmm. She likes seeing other people fall in love and get happy, but she just like has no no attachment to it. It was so interesting to see that develop in this miniseries. And I don't remember noticing that so much in other adaptations. I don't think I did either. But I think I was I was just like sort of sitting there and I sent myself an email that was just all caps, demisexual. Yes! <laughs> and, and it was like... Did they mean that? Or do I just read queer into everything? (laughs) Well, I mean, right. And like, do I think that the BBC in 2009 was like, let's do some Demi representation? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) But I think it's, I mean, it's been so long since I read Emma. I'm like, oh, is it in the text? Like, I kind of want to go. But I feel like the BBC sticks pretty close to the text. Mm -hmm. So like, if it's in the BBC adaptation, I'll bet you it's in the text. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I will have to also revisit that to see what's there. Because obviously, Jane didn't have the language, but she had no. the words. Yeah. She yeah. could definitely like, convey that. And as we know, queer people have always existed and just not been talked about in the words that we use today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, like I, I kind of, I kind of feel like that's canon based on this adaptation, anyway. Yeah, I like it. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm glad that we're we're not the only ones. We must yes, not be the only we ones. We have definitely there's no way. I'm sure if I Googled it for five minutes I would find a wealth of takes on that, plus probably some more fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I could totally see that. <sighs> well, do you have any final words about Emma or Jane Austen or adaptation? I think I will just thank you for letting me come on the show and babble tangentially about all things Austin for an hour, because <laughs> this was an absolute delight. <laughs> it was a delight, and thank you for joining me and having such a great way into talking about Austin, because it's been so long since I've been able to just babble as well and babble with somebody who could babble at the same level. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Discourse babbling. It's my specialty. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh man, we have had so many possible show titles today. I don't know which one. I'm gonna leave that to you. Oh no. <laughs> Once again, thank you, Jen Northington, for joining me on this special Austin episode of When in Romance. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you have the chance, please rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast. Um, I hope that you are all well and uh, well as well as you can be and staying home if you've been told to <laughs> or, or even if you haven't. <laughs> um, if you are in a situation where you cannot because you're an essential service, thank you and we hope that you've got some time for some romance or other happy things in your downtime. Um, and for those of you who are trying to read in order to find some happiness in your life, <laughs> happy reading. <laughs> happy reading indeed. Thank you.